Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sean Paul was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. He received his BFA from MICA and his MFA from Columbia University in New York. He lives and works in New York. His solo exhibitions include Adversaries Inc. at David Lewis Gallery, Communication of the Present Noise at Thomas Duncan in Los Angeles, as well as shows at Campoli Press in Paris, Front Desk Apparatus in New York City, Coma in Berlin, Elizabeth D. Gallery, and Sutton Lane Gallery. He's had group shows at TCNJ Gallery in New Jersey, Laurel Gitlin in New York, JTT Gallery in New York, Blum and Poe Gallery in Los Angeles, Massimo De Carlo in Milan, Le Confer Moderne Contemporary Art Center in France, John Connolly Presents in New York, amongst many others. His work has been written about in the New York Times, Hyperallergic, Art in America, Flash Art, Art Slant, Artnet, Art Forum, Art Info, and the Miami Herald, just to name a few. He's in the collection of the Whitney Museum of American Art and has been teaching in the School of Visual Arts since 2009. I met up with Sean at David Lewis Gallery at his solo show to talk about his youth in Salt Lake City, his path from the West Coast to the East Coast, elections, doom days, and a lot more. Here's our conversation. Well, do you have any, um, do you have any music history? If you played music, or if you're a music fan, or no, no, uh, but I, you know, I'll, I'll tinker. Yeah, it's kind of like having a workshop that I will then uh, I'll open up GarageBand every once in a while. That's the extent of my kind of uh, uh, kind of music uh, tinkering. Is like every once in a while I'll open up the yeah. GarageBand app. And I was just I was I have a three year old daughter, so we actually recorded like five tracks nice that I'll listen to <clears throat> again uh, that's how much I kind of enjoy it or something like it. I won't put them in the trash can and I won't keep them just for sentimental value but I'll also I'll, I'll pull them out and I'll be like oh yeah I like yeah I like this <laughs> I like this tra- track uh, we were doing like the ABCs uh, is it all vocal or is she playing stuff too uh, yeah she'll she'll play I need to probably ex- expand my uh, set of instruments or something like that. But um, I think that um, uh, right now it's just like the keyboard. I only just cracked it back open. Yeah. The garage band. You know, like very early on, 10 years ago, the garage band was, I would like record an album, you know, like in a very internal memo kind of way like right. three people w- would receive it uh, and it's only kind of you know like that rudimentary I have no expertise in kind of creating music or anything like that but with my daughter I kind of cracked it back open uh, and then I had to like wait while the loops in the library kind of load in oh my goodness I mean now they have a lot you can have guitar lessons maybe that was always there and you can purchase other kind of uh, instruments, I guess. But it's it, very easy now to make music. Yeah, yeah, no, it was totally 
nice, but they, for me at least with my daughter, is that then we were able to integrate a number of, you know, instruments and uh, kind of loops and things like that, and then the distortion, robot voice, all this kind of, uh, kind of thing was pretty, pretty uh, enjoyable. And she's into music? Like she's, I yeah, feel no, like she, that's... Yeah, she, she, really, she really enjoys it, uh, I feel, unless I'm wrong about that. But. No, I feel like all kids like music, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was, I personally was impressed from, I don't know if I can sep separate myself from the parental kind of, uh, kind of uh, filter, but, yeah. um, but, you know, she was making up kind of uh, words that could be <laughs> used, uh, like a hubba bubba bubba, you know, like this was like, <laughs> like a word that would then repeat and so we just had one song that was us kind of going back and forth like but using this new word as our kind of uh, call and response or something like that so we would kind of change the intonation or something and then of course I overlaid it with like way too much reverb or, or something like that so it was just like it sounds it, all of my garage band kind of recordings end up sounding like uh, walls of noise or something something like that with like a trumpet and like a snare kind of in there or something like that but there's I, so I, much I like available the, in the program yeah yeah it's, it's overkill or something like it's kind of I, I imagine if i went to kind of like photoshop and i hadn't used photoshop in 10 years it yeah, would be yeah. like ah yeah i would begin with the idea that oh first i can cut out this you know like i'll import an image and then i'll cut out this face and then I can, you know, like it would be if I could expand, oh, I can, I can paint with a digital paintbrush. I can, you, you know, I can apply this filter. So I feel like I'm, I come to this like garage band experience as, as much as if, I, as an, of a novice kind of perspective as if I was, I use Photoshop all the time. Yeah. So that's where I'm kind of imagining if there's any. There's a connection there between. Uh -uh. Well, if I was like using Photoshop, say the last time in like 2005, and then I kind of suddenly, there's still a lot of the, kind of like the tools are very similar, but I feel like the, the interface has changed maybe yeah. or something like that. But anyway, maybe this is like ridiculous. No, that's good stuff. Uh -huh. well, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah. I guess that could segue into. <laughs> Something else. No, here I'll segue. <laughs> so here's what I know about you. I think. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because I've I've honestly it, I've come to your work fairly recently and have been really interested in it. But I don't know too too much about your history. But I believe Salt Lake City was involved. Is yes. that is that true? That, yeah, Salt Lake City was involved. Is that where you grew up? Uh, yeah, grew grew up there. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> I hopefully naturally <laughs> no, uh, the location the locale uh, that was where uh, my parents uh, were also born and raised and so I uh, they actually had moved away from the Salt Lake uh, for a little while and then they kind of moved back just before I was born late 70s mm -hmm. uh, so <clears throat> anyway uh, and then my parents' parents were there, so there's kind of maybe a few generations that were situated in this area. So I was just, I would just, I kind of fell into, uh, you know, I arrived uh, yeah, kind of with a situation already in progress. Uh, right. So I didn't have any control over it, but... Um, <laughs> Did yeah. you like it? What was it like growing up there? 
I mean, when you're growing up in a place, you don't really have exterior points of reference because right. we didn't have. To, uh, but you know, apart from what I imagine, uh, uh, from you know, like maybe reading or television shows or film or something like that. But um, I mean, after I moved away, then I kind of felt like I had some perspective. So I I moved uh, from Salt Lake around uh, 18, 19 years old. I think mm -hmm. I moved to Los Angeles. <clears throat> um, but is that when you went to school? Yeah, I started uh, kind of college and uh, uh, spent a year over uh, in Los Angeles attending the um, Otis uh, College of Art uh, for for about a year. I kind of I enjoyed that, but the city really like eclipsed my relationship to. <laughs> The school, well, I don't know, there was kind of like a ratio that I found that I, I kind of rethought my relationship to um, kind of academic, fine art, uh, kind of school uh, uh, involvement or something. I, and uh, anyway, this kind of led me to take a height, like a... a <laughs> I went for a year, and then I thought, well, maybe I don't need to. I never was a group, like a degree oriented. I guess this is the way I thought of it: is that I, I was interested in school only as a kind of um, uh, machine or a motor that could kind of, or, or even just a place on a map that would kind of allow me to kind of go somewhere else uh, and kind of maybe set up unknown. Uh, you know, experiences or, or, or something like that. So I kind of felt like I went out to Los Angeles and the school effectively did that either on site around the campus or outside. But then I, anyway, this kind of has moved away from Salt Lake City. But this is what the school kind of did is that I wanted to have a slightly different experience from growing up <clears throat> in Salt Lake, which was very nice. There's a, you know, you can do a lot there that you can't really do uh, in a place like Los Angeles or now in New York. Uh, the, the relationship to an automobile for me kind of changed. I guess this is a, another thing is that you can go on like road trips. That was a big kind of aspect of my upbringing was like going yeah. to southern Utah, going through uh, uh, kind of Moab, middle kind of uh, regions of the uh, of the state, and uh, but you can also go out around Idaho. So that landscape changes too are crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I feel like that's that's something that I kind of miss, and I feel like that is the the relationship to the landscape is kind of uh, an interesting thing, which I, you know, I guess I don't know. There are probably many people who you know, have grown up in these, but Utah's, Salt Lake in particular, you're kind of in a bowl of the, of, uh, the Wasatch Mountains, yeah. and then you have the kind of Great Salt Lake. Uh, the flats, right? Yeah, I remember. And, yeah, you have this mixture, so that's yeah. where you have these kind of open spaces, but then you also have like really uh, kind of uh, almost uh, you know, grandiose mountain ranges. Uh, that you can uh, attend to. So I feel like there's this kind of dramatic uh, kind of experience. But then the, the kind of juxtapositions between industrially kind of, uh, uh, kind of modified uh, spaces. So you have like a Kennec the Kennecott Copper Mine, mm -hmm. which was kind of like to the south. Even gr the Great Salt Lake was always this murky thing that was 
kind of a, a kind of hybrid between like a human kind of uh, salin salinated uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of interventions or something like that or desalinated <laughs> desalinating uh, interventions. So you would have people like trying to take the salt out or. Uh, and it would modify the chemistry of the of the lake and the and the uh, kind of uh, uh, bi biologic and uh, kind of chemical makeup of the of the lake. And so you would have this thing where, the, like, brine shrimp would it, it, it's it kind of uh, I guess maybe but you know there would be this kind of uh, uh, effect on uh, particularly the brine shrimp. Anyway, now I don't even know what, but. but uh, <clears throat> You would get these things in Salt Lake. I'm going down memory lane with myself, but uh, uh, you know, like during the hot summer, because of uh, things like the desalination of the lake, people kind of trying to extract uh, the salt from the Great Salt Lake. Uh, it, it was once kind of like a real hub for social activity. Even when I was growing up, you could go out there, mm -hmm. and you could bathe, and you could float like a cork on the top of the water. And for my grandparents, there was a big uh, kind of. Uh, uh, kind of music and dance uh, hall out there where you could see like Benny Goodman or whatever, like big bands. And that sounds you amazing. You could take a trolley. Yeah, I mean, so it used to be kind of like a kind of site where a lot of um, kind of entertainment and if uh, kind of big musical acts came through, they would go out to uh, the, uh, the Great Salt Lake. But then kind of something opened up uh, and uh, the, the, uh, the lake was kind of used repurposed oil and uh, kind of uh, other kind of industries got in and started kind of trying to, I guess, extract the, uh, the, the kind of uh, valuable elements out of it. Uh, and, uh, and then it kind of changed. And so then my later experience, kind of just before I left, was when you would have, like, in, in the middle of the summer, these kind of odors. I mean, it became this kind of thing. I, I, uh, I was there last year, and I don't recall Actually, I do recall. You find at the airport, you can, you know, during the summer, you can, <laughs> you can actually get this. You can smell the Great Salt Lake, I guess. Is like, I've know, smelled it. Have you? Yeah, yes. you've been through? Okay, yeah, so. I've driven through, and there's nothing like it. Yeah, you know, you're, it's like, what is that? But you would, when, you're, when I was growing up there, it would just kind of be like, you'd open your windows during the summer. It would be maybe not, you know, like, too hot in the mid-80s, but Salt Lake doesn't have the humid heat of New York, so you would, you know, mid-80s in Salt Lake is actually kind of pleasant. Uh, you can open the windows, and then, but it's, it's warm enough that there's kind of a, like, dead kind of uh, small life form matter odor kind of like, <laughs> which I mean, it's just, it smells like kind of like an aquarium that's gone wrong, yeah. you know, or something like yeah, that. That's like, if you a good <laughs> description of it. Wait, so was that weird to you, or did it feel like home or something? Yeah, there, there is a little bit of this uh, kind of uh, uh, moment where the odor, because we flew in, uh, with, I, I took my family back <clears throat> there uh, uh, last summer, and so it was immediately after deboarding the plane, <laughs> walking, walking kind of to the uh, long-term parking garage, you could hear this, or you could smell this kind of immediately. I was like, oh yes, this is. I, you know, I could be blindfolded. I, I, right. 
uh, and uh, arrive in this site and I would uh, know the odor. So it does have a kind of uh, chemical uh, fingerprint uh, or a kind of uh, olfactory kind of signature that I'm I'm aware of. Did you prepare the family for that experience? No, no. I mean, it's not like overwhelming. You don't, I don't feel like I need to go, <laughs> there's this odor. It, it's like subtle. It doesn't, it doesn't overwhelm you. You just kind of, it kind of like wafts over. Yeah, it, it comes through and, um, and it's, and it wasn't as extreme. It's really just because the airport is so near the uh, lake that you can kind of get this um, kind of uh, effect the the Great Salt Lake kind of odor effect, but um, so when you were in LA for a year, you felt did you go back afterwards to Los Angeles? Yeah, did you return I, I, to I, I, the I, lake? Oh uh, yeah, I would make more frequent kind of visits while I was still in Los Angeles. I think that was like my baby step away from from Salt Lake. Was it culture shock, LA, compared to Utah? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, Salt Lake actually had a pretty kind of vibrant music scene. I mean, really the thing that when I was growing up that felt, I felt short-changed, uh, at least by what I felt like I was needing, was a kind of, um, kind of robust uh, kind of art experience, like visual art. Uh, oh, from an early age you knew? Or is that is that something you were always interested well, cer- in? Yeah, certainly by high school, junior high. I mean, this would kind of this was always a dilemma: is that in Salt Lake, when I was kind of going through public school, at least, it was finding places that could kind of, uh, you know, uh, fulfill my needs with regard. You know, like if, even if it was just as rudimentary as like, does, do they have art classes? Do they have an advanced placement? Uh, painting course or something like that because I was often uh, just kind of fur- much further along so it's almost like I imagine it as if you had a brilliant you know not to say that I was brilliant but uh, like if you had someone who was extremely gifted with again maybe you know I could say I was like fairly gifted in art but um, <clears throat> but if you had somebody in another field mathematics uh, 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 writing English or, or so forth science yeah. exactly there's the there's there in Salt Lake you can find or at least at the time maybe it's changed but anyway this is just to say um, you know there are avenues so I would have to find kind of extracurricular uh, kind, of, uh, kind of tutoring or uh, find uh, other kind of teachers uh, outside of kind of school to uh, oops, augment my kind of uh, kind of fine arts education just like the nuts and bolts kind of stuff like. If I was wanting to kind of like build my drawing skills, if I was wanting to build my painting skills, sculpture skills, wh- whatever, all this stuff that I really enjoyed doing, it, it, there, that was one thing. So yeah. maybe it was positive just on the level that it forced me to kind of like search it out, you know, like you but had to. Did, was that something that naturally came to you or were your parents very uh, involved in, in displaying the arts to you? Uh, you know what I mean? Or is it just something inside that you love to draw? It doesn't it always start with drawing. Or like building stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a very supportive environment that I grew up in. There was, a, you know, my father liked to kind of uh, uh, sculpt uh, in both kind of clay and stone, and he uh, even had some works cast in bronze at one point. So there was, there was like, there was, there was, there were always materials from my earliest memories around the house. So I kind of. 
and my mother has a background in um, kind of textiles, weaving, and so there were there were always kind of interesting things for me to engage with in paper, pencils. So yeah, that was that was always there. It was kind of like once I got to the stage where I kind of thought, okay, now I need kind of like more formal. You know, it's almost like what you would imagine apprenticeship would be, or yeah. just where you need to kind of like like move into a different register and how do I kind of, you know, like I, you kind of want to engage with different people or something. Yep. So it's that demand, it felt like that was what forced me to leave Salt Lake at a certain point was yeah. that, you know, every, things were kind of, you know, fine uh, with regard to kind of like, uh, but the, the thing that was at my core was not there for me at least. Maybe, you know, uh, it was, uh, I could, you know, there were friends of mine who were commercial photographers and that would kind of take it up to a professional level. I mm -hmm. guess this is kind of the thing is that maybe even in the back of my mind is if, not that I was registering it as like, oh, this is prof like professional, but you know, like it's, it's almost like if you're like, okay, I'm going to do this, Something I'm going to take it. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take it and not necessarily even thinking of it in the framework of a profession, but just it's like. Yeah, it's like the drive to just, I want to absorb information. I want to speak to others who kind of like can engage with me on these subjects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like once you start kind of running out of people you can kind of engage with, you've kind of like gone through you yeah. know, like the spirals and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go, you know, I'll try this out in Los Angeles. So it was, I guess, to the point of like culture shock, it was... It was different, but I mean, like, in term, it was primarily just having access to the museums, the galleries there, particularly with regard to contemporary art, but modern art, the Getty, LACMA, you know, the, these kinds of uh, uh, kind of hubs uh, that allowed me to see kind of work that I hadn't. Because I mean, it's not like you don't. And this is where my parents were very supportive. Is that early on we would travel a little bit and uh, you know kind of get out outside of uh, Utah and uh, visit <clears throat> um, other cities museums and things like that so mm -hmm. that was that was of course you know so early on I think that was beneficial but my my daughters far outstripped me in this so I'm curious <laughs> is that you know like I, I kind of think oh yeah by the time I was three I've, I was I'd maybe visited one or two major museums and it's like she's already gone through it's like isn't it like, amazing like having a kid in the city yeah I mean it's like I, that's the main I have like this new culture shock which is having a small child and kind of experiencing what is on offer in New York through kind of like my own re recollection and that's where I kind of have like this retroactive kind of feeling oh yeah I didn't but I mean these are these things can be all right you know they can all kind of be um uh, yeah, I don't you know. just I feel like they just navigate it. Yeah, I had yeah. a guy two blocks away from me when I grew up who had a gallery and then above the gallery was a studio. It was a huge old building. And that for me just it was amazing to see this guy who did it. That's what he did. Yeah. And then oh, when you I were guess, younger. Yeah, when I was growing up. And I think that just in you know, implanted in my mind like it's possible to just do this. Not that I was thinking professionally, but just Someone devoted their life to making, and he did like little plein air paintings. Yeah. Someone devoted their life to that, and then they built a gallery and, and did that, you know. So yeah, yeah. I'm sure that enables you in a way to, to feel like, oh, this is possible. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so, so you got, 
you had a year in LA and you, you thought I need a break then what did you do um, I went back to I think I went back to Salt Lake for about six months and then I thought oh maybe I'll try the East Coast uh, and see what's on offer there <laughs> uh, because again thinking that for me my kind of higher education was not maybe to my detriment was not organized around the idea of like oh I need like this degree or something like this because mm -hmm. I never thought at that stage when I was 19, 20 that like the success or failure of like my practices I saw at that point was related to a degree like the degree did not ultimately confer uh, like the validity of art or something right. like that and I still feel like that's kind of it's only like if you enter into kind of uh, an academic uh, kind of like a construct or something like if you go to a university if you want to teach art history then it's like we're PhDs masters of art that kind of, I mean it's also publishing it, it, it depends but I mean if you're in a kind of gallery context if you're that's not usually kind of the first thing yeah. is like so that was I think that was kind of interesting. so anyway I moved to the East Coast primarily to kind of check check out uh, a different uh, area of the country lived there so I you know, moved to Baltimore and ended up going to the Maryland Institute uh, College of Art that uh, uh, I think College of Art Design I think they maybe Micah, changed the name right? yeah I can't yeah. remember if they, <clears throat> but um, so that was interesting like Baltimore was like totally different but I think that's also good I like that you know like the, the, the whole package you can get when you're kind of pursuing your higher education track is that you can potentially tailor you know like if you're able to leverage whatever assets you have or uh, and, and kind of be able to travel I mean I, uh, getting a, for me it was primarily like getting portfolios together and <laughs> leveraging these uh, uh, to kind of you know pave the way for um, uh, you know like a new location a new group of people I can kind of potentially learn from, engage with, uh, and so, yeah, that was, the thing about Micah at the time was, it was a very hybridized program, it kind of had a foot in the, in, in the field of computer art and yeah. like 3D animation, but it also had this, and maybe it still does, I haven't visited the school for a little while, but it had its kind of like old Beaux-Arts kind of traditions, yeah. and so that, that was something that appealed to me after Kind of my experience at Otis, which was very much a kind of like post 1960s, 70s kind of uh, kind of uh, uh, take on uh, kind of art uh, education, and I felt like I kind of had missed out on just some uh, kind of like a period. I had, I kind of wanted the I wanted the scope of I wanted that transition between the Beaux Arts and into kind of like new, more progressive models of um, artistic uh, kind of pedagogy and, uh, and training, uh, and, uh, and, and I actually really enjoyed it. So there, was, there were studios, I recall, that were kind of like sky-lit and almost just like they could have been plucked out of you know, Paris or, mm -hmm. or something like that where you could go in and they would have like the live model that you could... I particularly enjoyed the sculpture. I thought you couldn't... There, I couldn't imagine anywhere else in the country that maybe there is a place where you could kind of do like the live kind of sculpting, sculpting from a model from but, and they had these like troughs of clay that they maintained for like 25 years or longer that were kind of like 
carefully covered with burlap bags and like watered and every, I mean, it was really kind of like that old Beaux-Arts master-student relationship, which I don't necessarily put, you know, like it, it's, a, it, it, it's problematic, but I thought that I wanted to kind of like, that was what I was interested in the moment, because yeah. I kind of wanted to like go through like the spectrum of uh, kind of uh, ped pedagogic kind of approaches. And Did you take new media there as well? Yeah, yeah, so that was what, they had a great textile uh, program there, or still do, I believe, uh, and so you could really get kind of like everything, and it was a large campus. Otis mm -hmm. at the time in Los Angeles was like one building, and then there was like the fashion hub. They had just moved into this former IBM site that you can see every time you find I, uh, LAX. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of... Uh, kind of uh, narrow-windowed uh, kind of uh, box or something like that that you, you have uh, to your, I guess, your right if you're flying and landing over land, uh, to mm -hmm. your left if you're or, or, uh, landing from the ocean. But anyway, so it was like going from like one box that kind of felt like high school. I mean, like I didn't, one, anyway, I won't get into it, but it was a little bit like going to high school. Like you, yeah. there was like a very a small number of students and so going to Baltimore was very different in terms of the structures that you had this larger campus, you had a number of, you know, like different eras and uh, epochs of kind of like teaching approaches represented in the faculty, but also just in the administrative mm -hmm. buildings. Uh, You're close to D.C. with all the museums. Yeah, yeah. oh my goodness. And that Outsider was, Art yeah, Museum yeah. right there. Yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. was, that was, a, that was, I would go down to D.C. all the time on the, like on my weekends, I'd go down. Isn't so that I, great? Yeah. Three I, museums, uh, you, like you can just throw a paper yeah, airplane and hit a museum yeah, there. Yeah, my goodness. So that was, the, all the Smithsonian kind mm -hmm. of venues, Library of Congress. I got a ID and I was going in investigating whatever my current interests interests were <laughs> with my library. I was really proud when I had my kind of like I could go in and like go through paper documents and handle uh, specific items. To, uh, but yeah, that was because the yeah the National Gallery even between its kind of contemporary uh, kind of. Uh, uh, permanent collection and then it, rotating exhibitions and so seeing like Barnett Newman's mm -hmm. uh, Station Cross. Cross. Yeah, I mean yeah. like stuff like that. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, uh, so um, that I think that was a big thing. But even Baltimore was like Walter's Museum was, is there. I saw some mm -hmm. excellent kind of like Manet exhibitions and uh, the Historical Society. I mean, you could you know, Baltimore can bring it in terms of its institutions too, but then when you connect that with like Philadelphia, uh, DC, and then I would do the trips up to New York. So my, yeah. my baby step from, to New, to New York was kind of like Baltimore and then doing weekend trips. I was, I was always like going either north or south along the... Was that kind of your, <clears throat> from being in Salt Lake and taking those car trips, was this kind of an equivalent of like getting out and seeing some things that were local, but you had to to get around to it? You know? Yeah, well, I think, I think that I realized that I like the train. Like, this is where I had, my relationship to the train was only kind of established when I moved to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And that's where I ended up getting an undergraduate degree. But uh, prior to that, it, like, everything had been car. I thought yeah. that that's how you got around. Right. It was like, you drive, because I went Salt Lake, very car heavy. Yeah. Especially hotter, even winter. There's not you don't really, you see very few people. If you see someone walking, 
in Salt Lake, you're like, what are they, are they, what are they doing? You know, like, why are they out? Where's their broken down yeah. car? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, because the distances are a little bit, uh, you know, like you're not, but, and then that's taken to an extreme in Los Angeles too. I remember I did this thing and I don't know what, it was just my not being familiar with the city, but I parked my car over, because I had a vehicle in Los Angeles when I moved there. I parked my car, I think, uh, around the Hammer Museum. Mm -hmm. It was like around like the UCLA campus. And then I was like, I'm going to walk to LACMA or something like that, because it's just down yeah, Wilshire or something like that. And so I was like walking, and then I was like, oh, you know, it was really like, a, like a, the sun's beating down. And I was, anyway, I was, <laughs> I was walking with a friend, and we're just like, what are we doing? We didn't see anybody. It was like being in the middle of a kind of like a desert landscape or something. And uh, anyway, but um, yeah, but. Baltimore trains and these kinds of things were uh, kind of, uh, I really, that regional train was yeah. not something that I took advantage of on the West Coast, so that was a big, a big deal. You could read in a train, you're not driving. Oh my so goodness, you, you yeah, this is why I'm not moving away from New York, it's just like, <laughs> I, the subway, despite its flaws, is just like, anytime I can read <clears throat> and, and get to where I want to go. <laughs> yeah, that's a perk. <laughs> um, and... Yeah. So. Yeah. So. So you graduated with Micah. N did you? Were you discipline um, focused, or was it just an art degree? You know what I mean. Like, were you in a painting or sculpture program, or was it just? Yeah, I think it was a. I think there was a painting. I think I ended up with a, a, a BFA in pain, <laughs> painting. But I. It was really like at that. By the it's point. Open. By the, yeah. By the time I graduated, it wasn't open. You had to define it, and that's what. That's no, as far as what you could do. Oh yeah, but you could like I was over. I was I was big into like the ceramics department yeah. while I was there, and also I enjoyed the textiles department. And mm -hmm. so there were there were kind of drawbacks to not you couldn't have like every major, uh, uh, and you so you kind of had to choose. And then you had you know like basic access, but I couldn't. I, you know, like I feel like if I had been a textile major or a ceramics major, I would have been. No, it was pretty. I mean, that was, it was actually maybe not the case because I feel like I could pretty much go to any of these departments, and that's what I really liked about the schools that you could. It's you know, like I'm interested in this now. I'm going to go over there, and they would have like a full facilities to accommodate uh, kind of like a range, and then many uh, and, and most of the faculty were very accommodating and encouraging. You know, it's like. Ah, you know, not only do you have the facilities, but hey, I'm interested in trying this out. And so they would, so it was really a good, it was a good education with regard to kind of getting um, kind of like the, um, the trade, the artisanal kind of uh, experience filled in, you know, like I feel like that capped off my, my striving through my kind of uh, teens, early teens, and even or just to kind of like say like, okay, now I can do, even if it's an illusion to myself, I can kind of do it all, you know, like I know, I know I've kind of learned how to paint like an old master painter, and I know what it means to kind of move into kind of like a, a non-representation, you know, I really kind of had to paint through the history, and that was kind of how I was thinking at the time, because I was very, uh, painting oriented despite my forays into other um, media like I was yeah I would go back to my apartment that I had set up as a kind of painting studio and I would just kind of be 
like a like a maniac in there, uh, working late into the night. Like you know, like I don't even know. I wish I could tap back into that <laughs> that that energy. Uh, uh, but um, yeah. But it, anyway, it was it was really quite uh, quite nice uh, with regard to these kinds of things. What did you look like? It really was kind of like I would go through. I mean, I, I thought that, I mean, I was, I felt like I was aware that, uh, like, higher education in relationship to kind of like a fine arts practice or a visual arts practice or whatever one might want to call it, it was important to go through, like, for me at least, I thought, like, this is not the time where I'm kind of commercially oriented. Uh, I kind of had this vague uh, understanding, so I thought, like, this is the time where I can kind of pursue what I want and so the best way to learn you know kind of these things was for me to kind of pass through them so you know like if I became deeply interested in analytic cubism or whatever you know I would start integrating that into my practice and I wouldn't care if people were saying like ah this you know like this is not this is not new or something I was like well yeah I'm not like I'm not so really kind of like I think it absorbed a number of different historical styles and approaches to working, at least particularly the, the painting. So it was really all over the place because I would take figurative painting courses and so I didn't dive into that and I would be uh, interested in kind of like, it was really just like learning the techniques uh, for me. So my style followed kind of like the integration of these, you know, this ho potential hod hodgepodge of you know, old, like, I remember taking old master, I was, there was kind of this one thing that was very particular at the Maryland Institute of College of Art, which I don't know if it's there anymore, where it was, like, one of the few places where you could, like, go in and, like, and people would sit down in the class and be like, okay, so this is how you paint an old master painting. And so, like, for many students, that's like, oh, yes, at last. Yeah, I know, like, how do you prepare the surface? And then they're like, well, first you prepare it with acrylic ground, and you're like, oh, no, acrylic ground, no, no. Like, Velasquez didn't have that or something like that. Uh, yeah, rabbit skin. So all of these materials, like it immediately gets undermined in the, the techniques and the materials are kind of uh, at odds uh, nowadays. But, but I was still fascinated by because I think it was, even if it's the myth of the old master method, so we pull out our like Chinino, Chinini books or something like that, and we're like, okay, he's, you know, he's grinding these pigments for 42 hours. He, he exposed his linseed oil to the sunlight. It thickened, and you know, like you're trying. So I do like I like this kind of alchemical kind of aspect to that you that at least within painting, and it and it and it kind of extends into other forms. But that was like one of the first kind of uh, experiences of like thinking like, ah, yes, we're actually not just dealing, the old, uh, anyway, this is another way to say it, the old master kind of, in quotation, uh, kind of education that I received allowed me to think about materials in a, a kind of more chemically oriented pigments, all these kinds of things that play into like what I'm even working on uh, till this day is that, yeah, like all these things, it's interplays and, you know, cohesion, uh, uh, adhesion, uh, kind of uh, oxidization, uh, all these things that, uh, you know, even if you just are thinking of it in relationship to painting, apply to like when you're learning to do like multiple glazes or why do you do the grisaille technique underneath if you're uh, kind of painting uh, uh, following a kind of uh, French uh, late 19th century technique or something, you know, like, uh, so I think that that helped me kind of just think that, you know, if I don't want things to totally fall apart, that was like, 
this would be the subtitle of my, like if I taught an old master method, is like, how do you make things so they don't just fall apart? Because part of, I think, the fascination is like, you know, we believe that paintings that have been made, you know, like in the 17th, 16th century or something like that, were kind of sorted out. I mean, I don't know. Like you look at a Van Eyck painting, there's a lot of preservation, but it, it, I think like there's a lot of like it's shrouded in a myth that it's kind of endured or something, that at some point the te technique was figured out and uh, it could be preserved. And so I feel like that, yeah, made it. And so I feel like that, anyway, maybe uh, this helped me think about how do I construct things? And it's being aware just of the materials and how they'll kind of interact, you know, like will it? Because some, you know, maybe that is valuable on some level to understand like, oh, do I want this thing to fall apart in uh, a year or do I want it to kind of last for, or be, a la you know, at least be put in, uh, you know, like at least have a chance to last for 400 years or something, you know, like if someone keeps it in a cool, dry place and uh, away from direct sunlight or, you know, maybe if it's a work that needs direct sunlight. Anyway, all those kinds of things like I was aware of uh, at that point of time uh, while I was at, at MICA, but anyway, that's a very uh, kind of <laughs> sidebar. <laughs> I think if someone looked at your current show, yeah. And then was familiar with the, my work, and then listened to this and, and realized that we both probably have a really great fondness for Manet. Oh yeah, Manet yeah. is one of my favorite painters of all time, if not the. Yeah, yeah. They might not guess that. Yeah. Well, no, like that's where even just the the Walters Museum that I mentioned had a fantastic late still lifes show yeah. uh, of Manet, and that was really where I was like, holy cow, because I had been to. Uh, Paris, and so I'd seen like Musée uh, d'Orsay, yeah, yeah, yeah. One so of I'd best. seen uh, like Olympia, all of that, yeah. uh, the balconies and, and things like that, and so I was like, yes, I appreciate those. I think I'd even uh, maybe been to the Met. I can't recall. And there's kind of like a room that they've had for many years, and, and where a number of um, works by Manet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the Walters and even the the, the National Gallery had like the Fallen Toreador mm -hmm. and a few other of Manet's paintings. And so, but the Still Life show really just blew my mind because they included, I think, the uh, portrait of Emile Zola yeah. with all the, the the prints in the background and uh, and. That's a good one. Yeah, I was really just able to kind of like take that apart. So I definitely had like a Manet phase when I was in undergrad where I was thinking, oh yes, how is Manet uh, painting and how is it different than some of the people who were coming just prior uh, to him, at least in France. And it, it was really kind of like a loosening up, I thought, that's... You know, and then of course I like, would jump to like Cezanne. I was like, okay, if like I went through the gamut of yeah. like Manet, but he had a number of kind of little games that I appreciated. I guess I called them that, like the, the in the still lifes in particular, the way he would foreshorten knives hanging mm -hmm. off the edge or just the drawers. Some of this even funnels into kind of I feel like Cezanne's <clears throat> works uh, with regard to kind of like vanishing uh, kind of. Sp handles of spoons or whatever going into cups and where anyway that that was interesting to me uh, at the time but yeah indeed Manet I think was uh, quite uh, kind of important to me and, and that kind of was a gate gateway drug to uh, Velasquez or maybe it was the other way around I was a big like when I was growing up 
Velasquez. Yeah, Velasquez, like, yeah. yeah was, uh, and so, anyway, but... Oh, he, totally. taps in, he taps into some <coughs> of that youth, youth angst or something. I feel like Manet hit it a little more, maybe. Yeah, but well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, no, I think there's something there in uh, Las Meninas, like, mm-hmm. right, where you see this dynamic of Velasquez, and for me, that's clearly a painting that is emboldening, you know, like emboldens the, the, the position of uh, like the artist in the hierarchy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me at least, like I was thinking like, oh yeah, like he has control of the representation. Of course, there's maybe the ultimate kind of control of the, you know, the... The commission. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and even kind of the uh, kind of... Uh, uh, royal family or something like that. If they mm-hmm. don't like it, they're going to not, you know, have that out and about. Uh, but yeah, I think that that anyway, just thinking to the kind of this angst or something like that. It's like a little bit, you know. I, I mean, it's it's probably a hard sell, but I could kind of. I feel like if I was given <laughs> adequate time, I could try to make an argument for how that would be a kind of, um, you know, like a, a kind of. Uh, you know, I kind of feel like Los Meninas is a little bit like. Uh, a covert uh, flipping of the bird, right, or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. I mean, but it's it's too it, uh, the construction's too sophisticated to just kind of. Um, it's not a straightforward kind of royal portrait, and that's kind of like the most dumb way to describe it, of course. But uh, that that it's uh, the nuances, the the kind of reflections, the construction of space, but even the placing of the canvas. Anyway, whatever. This is again uh, a kind of uh, uh, something that you know, one could, of course, <laughs> uh, reflect on in a much more articulate and kind of cohesive way, and has been done much better than I would uh, ever uh, attempt to do here. But, but anyway, just thinking that yeah, there is something that I mean. I think this appealed to Manet was that he was looking to kind of the style that had been established, the stripped down bare background uh, kind of style. Velasquez also has a number of portraits that are, some of which are in the Louvre, right, where you have this kind of, um, you know, you kind of get a different representation of the uh, social hierarchies yeah. in, in, in Spain. And so he wasn't just all about the royal family, uh, but uh, I thought that if you take his pr- practice overall, you can see this kind of interesting relationship between different levels of society, uh, and then how he situates himself in it, in a, a kind of representation, and that he's not, he's not meek up, up in Las Meninas, you know, like yeah. he's, he's, you know, he's kind of like the badass. That's, he's the creator. Yeah, he, like, yeah. I mean, and then that goes into a whole other flawed kind of scenario, which one can unpack, but at least if you're, you know, like a young this is kind of like the the fan version of it or something like that if i could problematically attempt to generalize what with what appealed to me uh, in Velasquez and what would potentially appeal to Manet because i think Manet was also you know he was a rebel in his way too against the, the beaux-arts kind of traditions and yeah. he was kind of a bridge maybe to, uh, also kind of a kind of ambiguous uh, with regard to kind of the younger gen- generation that he was uh, maybe kind of bringing up a little bit in figures like uh, uh, Monet or Manet and uh, mm-hmm. 
the kind of impressionist uh, crowd or something like that. But um, anyway, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a nice <laughs> digression. That it is. Maybe it didn't, is. Didn't get well, let's get so you to jump back into your chronology. Uh, so you got out of Micah, and then what was the next step? Uh, it was pretty quick to New York then, because mm-hmm. I um, I thought that. I mean, this is like I was, I was in, uh, enrolled at the Maryland Institute right around uh, 2001. I think I graduated 2002. So I kind of had this uh, feeling that I didn't. I was kind of weary to jump to New York, and I hadn't ever even really thought to move uh, that I would make the move here. But I knew that I needed to go somewhere else. So um, I ended up again using kind of the experience of higher education to kind of jolt me into a different geographic mm-hmm. uh, uh, and social kind of situation. And so I ended up going to school here, and that's uh, uh, pretty, I think, within a year after graduating from the Maryland Institute, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that opened up a whole other... I mean, what I was interested here, I mean, what I really learned once I moved to New York I know this wasn't the question at all, but um, uh, but I, what I was thinking that what I was plotting myself is what I kind of experienced in Los Angeles, what I experienced in Baltimore, leaving a lot of stuff out, of course. But, um, but coming to New York, it was this, that was the reality of the commercial side, like mm-hmm. that uh, the, 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 the um, activity that was going on, I think galleries had just made the migration in large part from kind of the, the neighborhood of uh, Soho uh, to up to kind of Chelsea. Uh, and it w- and while, while I was in school, there was just that kind of uh, like resurgence of galleries uh, kind of coming up in mm-hmm. the Lower East Side where we're right. sitting now. Yeah. So it's, uh, and that was what really kind of impressed me is like, I was like, oh yes, there's this whole thing that's not museums. Mm-hmm. I mean, which was my pri- primary uh, access point uh, up until moving to New, York, to New York. I mean, I would go to galleries and things like that. Uh, I mean, I'd even shown work in galleries, uh, commercial galleries. But it was different where you kind of get this much more intense, interconnected uh, kind of social interaction uh, that takes place around the, the galleries yeah. uh, in particular in, in New York. And so to see uh, you know, like I remember seeing the very early Rena Spalling's uh, shows when they were first out. So like uh, A. Arakawa, uh, Yuta Kota, uh, Seth Price, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and others kind of ha- holding what felt kind of like interventions in the kind of field of uh, almost status quo, white box commercial gallery kind of uh, activities. I was quite, I was like, oh yeah. This <laughs> so that kind of hit uh, uh, jolted me and kind of gave me uh, hope or something like that in terms of I'd also come to the end of the line at least in terms of higher education I'm like, okay so if I'm doing masters I can really only I can't you know it's like I can go PhD or you know like I can't really drag this out for much longer uh, in terms of formal education so I was that was where questions of what you do what yeah. you do next? How do you? What do you? You know, like, how do you? 
do you make money or do you, or how do you go about doing that or do you is it not about that or did going to grad school in the city facilitate that or at least well, inform yeah yeah you? yeah I mean because one thing that was very different is just the kind of speed and uh, kind of it was like the quantity and uh, velocity of uh, like studio visits and mm -hmm. just people you would meet with so it was like uh, meeting with uh, uh, not only, but the faculty that uh, I went to Columbia University, and so while I was there, it was like you know you'd be meeting with uh, Kara Walker who was teaching there, or you'd meet with Liam Gillick who was a, a mentor, and it's uh, you know and if you and even part-time faculty you have Jerry Saltz or something like that, so it was like you really were just going through the washer of you know the kind of like art world on some level. And uh, while you were tinkering in your, you know, your 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 studio or something like mm -hmm. that, so a little bit of a rude awakening, but it was like also a potential trial by fire. Again, all these things totally fraught with <coughs> um, <laughs> potential uh, problems. But um, but anyway, it was a nice to see. I think that 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 was the one of the primary. I didn't come to graduate school thinking like I need to refine my painting right. skills or I need to kind of learn how to do ceramics again or so that's where I was thinking like ah now it's indeed you know like it's this different medium that was there be in the past but I just hadn't quite realized it which is all of the social interaction all of the uh, commercial uh, kind of activity that uh, underlies it as well or there's kind of like a palimpsest or something you know like it's interlocked yeah. this, this kind of relationship between um, the commercial uh, activities of gal I mean galleries this kind of thing is that the, you know this is where you have the laboratories but also it's it's for the most part for-profit enterprises and there's a, a great number of nonprofit spaces uh, in the city uh, as well as museums but it was really <clears throat> I think the Lower East Side that's why it's very nice to be sitting in this show of mine <laughs> now in the Lower East Side is that I, you know, it took a, it took a long time, but I, I kind of feel like I, I at least get to kind of put something back into the environment that um, helped uh, kind of root me to, um, to New York, at least personally. Right. Which, which, which was, uh, well, it seems like your path is a little different than a lot of artists in the sense that it almost seems like you kind of had this in your mind like a root and, and you wanted to get somewhere with what you're thinking about. You're kind of working through methods in school, whether they be master painting or whether they be digital or textile, whatever it is, you're kind of exploring and the schools are just, and the locations are shells that you're almost using to just get you to where you want to be going in your own explorations and making work. So what I'm interested in is now sitting here in the gallery and seeing all this work, and um, artwork's about communication. It's about your, you know, visual discussion with the viewer, with yourself, or with fellow artists. So, what is kind of what is that for you? That kind of communication. Do you know what I mean? How has it been, sort of outside of school, but with fellow artists, and you know, that communication that you have in making your work and sharing it with other people in whatever levels that you do. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose even though I'm not, I'm kind of, <clears throat> I'm not the biggest uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, I'm slightly reserved when it comes to kind of uh, getting out and about and 
having having uh, conspicuous social interactions. But I feel like that's like the idea of communication would be kind of the the most enjoyable part, and so that's why I think moving to New York was so. Uh, you know, after the fact, I realized very important in that the speed, the the, the way in which you can have a number of different conversations mm-hmm. with so many, like within your, you know, with other artists, with people who collect art, with curators, you know, like all these different categories that often overlap <clears throat> and, and, and intermingle. But um, yeah, I mean, that's really like, I can't, I feel like I would leave New York as soon as I was able to have that kind of spectrum of communicative experiences that you can have mm-hmm. here. I mean, you can do a lot through the digital, through social media, through you know, uh, a more distanced uh, kind of electronic form of uh, communication, which I also enjoy. I don't mind a long kind of conversation on the telephone, potentially. Mm-hmm. But um, but here you can, you know, for me at least, it's I I like having that rapid turnover where you can go to someone's show, you can meet up with them later in the afternoon, you can have uh, uh, a conversation about it. And in, anyway, the, like I can't think of anywhere else really that you can just really, I mean, I think that's what's anchored me as I kind of said to this spot personally, is just that it, it, it kind of provides me with, uh, you know, my fix or something yeah. like that, which would be directly along these lines of communication where you can kind of put something out there and that's why again it's nice to have work up uh, at, uh, at David's uh, gallery here and I think the, gar- the, the David uh, and, and his uh, team kind of continue some of that spirit that I uh, that responded to when I first moved here which is you know that it's that it's a that art can be kind of more dynamic and that can be also, you know, taken in the bad directions for me, but that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it can kind of also be unruly. It can kind of present uh, alternate scenarios outside of just hardcore. Well, I don't know. This is where I would maybe argue with myself is like, is there an outside to kind of, uh, kind of the commercial uh, side of things, but, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I think that the, the the communicative side, um, you know, I also started teaching here. So I, you know, I, I the loop is starting to kind of uh, close in terms of having, you know, like a, an experience where I can start talking to students mm-hmm. uh, who are, you know, who may have some of uh, this uh, kind of similar. Uh, kind of, you know, it's that really hard thing to describe, which is that you're just, you know, it's like being hungry. You know, you need to, you need to eat. You're hungry. You need to kind of. Yeah. So that's. I mean, one thing in New York is that I can just be like. Uh, I mean, I'm not the best at it, but you know, if I have, you know, like I'm like I need to talk about this kind of stuff, yeah. or I want to meet up with somebody. You know, like you. You, you get in touch and you're like, okay, we'll meet up like what later day? Sure, yeah, or this evening or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's really good and something that is just, you know, that's what is kind of amazing for me. And that in Salt Lake, thinking back, you know, going back to the, you know, young days, if I was like 12 and I was like, man, I really just want to have the most ridiculously nerdy conversation with somebody about 
like Picasso and Brock's early collage work or something like that. Like, but there's nobody here, yeah. you know, and or something. Whereas, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's evidence maybe in even just in our conversation is that you know there's you can do that in other places, but in New York, it's really you can the, like the the, the uh, importance of communication, but also in embo- like embodied physical being, you know, uh, around one another and. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's that's uh, what I enjoy. There's a real value in it, I think. I mean, that's why I like doing these, where I'm actually with people and talking to them in yeah, the space yeah. around the work, because especially nowadays, so much is encountered through a filter. You know what I mean? But to have that sort of real experience. Yeah, well, what I mean, like, it would be nice if, yeah, I think that for me, I'm getting the guilty pleasure out of sitting in my, like, my show. <laughs> it's going to, it's, Gonna close soon, but right. um, and, and and talking about these things, but this is you know this is almost like a, yeah as as you say that uh, I indeed I appreciate uh, the invitation uh, to have the conversation because I think that it is it is uh, you know like uh, it is uh, what one hopes you know is to kind of have conversations around the work or yeah. you know like I mean I like that work you know like in terms of art. It's different for different for uh, different uh, parties and individuals or whatever. You know, some people like silence. I do have that kind of Warholian kind of statement uh, with regard to kind of like if you're looking for me, you can find me on the surface yeah. of my pictures or something. So I do. I have a little bit of a affinity for this idea that there is an opacity and that one cannot necessarily always convey things. In words, but that's where this kind of whole thing. I'm waving. Nobody can see this, but Brian and I. But you know, like waving my hand to make a kind of suggest, like the environment we're in, is that you know it's that mixture of um, of uh, kind of being embodied in a physical space and having a conversation, and uh, that yeah, it's it's different than if it was. Uh, I feel like we couldn't. It would be different. That's all. I, 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 not, no profound <laughs> well, end to that thought. Well, I'll let this show, and you know, we post photos on, I'll post photos on the website, in the gallery oh, website yeah, has images, but I'll let it speak for itself. But I do want to ask, what in the world, like how, what is it? What are those, are they paintings? Or are they? Oh, now we get to the tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> or you could go Warhol with the answer and make it yeah. really easy. Yeah, well, this is where I love, and it doesn't come off on radios, that there are those early interviews with Andy Warhol. I wouldn't do it to you, but I was just, it made me think of this, is that Andy Warhol had those great, like, that great interview with Alan Solomon where mm-hmm. he slips in, like, the bird, and he says, mm-hmm. you just tell me what, what I should, well, what do you think? You just tell me what to say, and I'll say that. Anyway, I, I, I'm not going to play that card, but, um, no, but I think this, like, the show we're in, uh, for me, that's, it builds out, actually, of my interest in communication uh, and technology and the, and the way in which these things do have uh, I, I was thinking I, I find uh, kind of his, with a historical uh, kind of uh, uh, framework at least what that means for me is that it's not just I can't just immediately arrive at the present I can't just launch into a show and feel like I'm at the apex of a totally kind of like new thing or something like that. So this show that came up, uh, at, or as I was, you know, like 
working on it, it arose from, you know, for one, firstly, perhaps the kind of chaotic political environments mm -hmm. in the United States where, you know, like I spoke to David and we, the idea for the show, I think, uh, came up around August or September last year, so not too far, and too not, not, not too far in the distant, or not too far in the past, but, um, but this is exactly where the whole kind of uh, presidential kind of uh, election in the U.S. kind of was playing out, and so it really felt like, and it's still kind of the case here, even uh, towards the end of April here in 2017, you have this kind of game of what's going to happen next, and there's this bombshell and that bombshell, and so I, I kind of just imagined, the, you know, I was feeling stressed out like many others have, and I feel like stressed out can be like carried quite deep, or it can be, you know, some might feel it's uh, a light stress, and some kind of can feel like an existential threat, and, mm -hmm. I, and I think that that's certainly played out. And I feel like I, in my way, I've gone through a certain range of those feelings. Election night in November, the results were coming in. And at least for me, I was, I, I could feel that in my body, yeah. you know, I, like that was, it felt like, and I just was reading, this is sidebar number, whatever, uh, 100, but I just read that, uh, that uh, uh, William Gibson was working on uh, uh, a, a, a novel during this time, mm -hmm. and he's had he had to kind of reboot it and rewrite it so that he, it's going to be this kind of like parallel where one world is where Hillary Clinton won, and one is kind of like the real world. I think he calls it stubs, basically, like that they're parallel universes that uh, kind of get stubbed stubbed out. And so, he, in his upcoming, I think it's called Agency. It will, you know, a plug for it will. Anyway, but I felt like that was what was almost happening, where we were really, like, um, you know, this is a sentiment that maybe others have expressed. But anyway, this is kind of like when you're working on a show, and part of the idea is like, oh, what do I want to present, uh, or what do I want to work on, or what is even kind of passing, through, you know, uh, uh, through my mind. This uh, this show kind of, I started thinking like I need to. I don't know if embrace is the right word, but I wanted to kind of think about kind of history that I was already familiar with from previous shows that I had considered kind of early computer technology, uh, information theory, um, and, you know, what was always looming, at least in the U.S., was kind of like the development of the atomic bomb and a, a kind of the, and also early uh, kind of uh, understanding of the, of quantum mechanics and quantum theory. So these things were on my mind in that I thought like, okay, how do we arrive at a kind of critical, um, you know, like I was thinking more in terms of military and, but also every day I was thinking where is, where are the flaws, I guess. And so one can find kind of myriad kind of flaws, but I thought that one flaw relating to the present for me was that if, the, like if, and this can be slightly, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like I would almost say like it's an overexpression, but I, I don't know if that's the case, is, is that you, you, you could say that, you know, if we take our kind of technological devices, even when it, even kind of print technology, like mm -hmm. the 
uh, CNC kind of arms that will uh, control uh, large format printers or the digital language in the computers that are used. And drawing upon my previous kind of research for other shows uh, or that helped uh, kind of fuel previous shows, I just kind of was aware of all this kind of um, research and development and mili military kind of spending that had gone on. And this is kind of well, well known at this point, but that I thought that indeed, you know, like figures like John von Neumann, who I kind of mentioned in the press release for this show, was, mm -hmm. uh, was an individual who had his hand in a number of different baskets, in, especially around the Second World War, 1940s, where he was you know, engineering the first computing systems. He was uh, involved in calculating the uh, kind of uh, chain reaction uh, for both the uh, atomic bomb in relation to the Manhattan Project and the thermonuclear bomb. Uh, uh, later, he was uh, designing, uh, cons uh, consulting with the RAND Corporation. So anyway, this kind of idea, which maybe will slightly be conveyed in images for anyone who ends up seeing them uh, after the fact is that there are works in this show that kind of cite uh, kind of historical kind of moments. And so every work in the show has a, a kind of time stamp, a date mm -hmm. attached to it. Uh, there's kind of clocks uh, or watches, as I call them, uh, on some of the walls. And these would be taking their settings uh, or would derive many of their kind of uh, clock face settings uh, from this uh, doomsday watch that, uh, or clock actually, that the uh, bulletin of the atomic scientists established in the late uh, 1940s, but has continued to this day. And they just actually, after the uh, the uh, inauguration uh, in January. Sped it up a bit. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they said, oh, we need to adjust uh, the clock. And they give a very specific reason. They, they, they released a kind of, uh, you know, like 16-page document uh, saying this is why we're changing the clock. And so it is, it's this graphic device that uh, was designed by uh, Marta Langsdorf uh, back in the 40s. She was a wife of one of the Manhattan Project physicists. And she was coming up with something, a graphic device, just that could be placed on the cover of this bulletin of the atomic scientists that could be used to indicate like, how close we are to a nuclear threat. What, what's happened and what you have in my show is that I've, I've, kind of, I've used a different kind of uh, design aesthetic for mm -hmm. my watches, uh, but the settings correspond to like a kind of decade by decade uh, kind of survey of different. So you can see that, like in some of the works, the, the minute hand kind of tilts way down. And so that's in connection to uh, uh, 1990 when the Cold War kind of comes to the close. Mm -hmm. The bulletin of uh, the atomic scientists changed there. Uh, they kind of s turned the clock back and, and said that we're, we're not as close to the brink of uh, destruction now. Uh, but and then also the kind of like works that kind of move to the left from where I'm sitting, which will be totally nonsensical to anybody who's listening, but um, is that they started, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists also started taking into things like the global famine uh, and environment, right. climate change and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So it really is just like, if you wanted to find a graphic device that was kind of, uh, or a timepiece, a graphic design slash timepiece uh, that kind of was the consolidation of, you know, a number of individuals who were fairly learned and are interested 
and researching into a myriad of these subjects like climate change, uh, man-made threats, uh, and so forth, you would find kind of it all condensed into this uh, doomsday watch that I kind of use uh, mm -hmm. in my way in this show, in the doomsday clock. So, so I thought that this was kind of, anyway, getting back to kind of just preparing the show is that, you know, I was thinking like, where's the, like, is there a terminus? Is there a point? And so mm -hmm. that's where kind of like these watch faces, the doomsday clock, the doomsday watch, I thought, you know, like midnight is, a, is an hour, according to, to at least the watches in my show, these, these pictures that we'll never get to see. We'll never know when it's midnight, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a happy note. But anyway, that's this kind of idea of, um, I kind of thought I'd boil it down to kind of like, like the nuclear, the atomic, the thermonuclear, these kinds of issues. Like how could we most quickly just do it or you know like in terms of how could it be over just in the, in the quickest way the climate change the other kinds of social and political issues that are very uh, critical and important at the moment uh, you know are, are also threats that feed into this but I suppose I was this was the I thought that I had to kind of embrace a kind of terminus of existence you know like there yeah. was this that was one thing that the kind of recent election and scenario in the U.S. made me think about was just how can I approach this in a way that, you know, maybe is both heavy-handed uh, but also allows me to kind of reflect upon some of these things that I was, uh, you know, that interested in with regard to early computer technology, but also uh, the kind of graphic interfaces and the modes of communication and uh, that we deal with uh, today. So that's where there's a number of these works that are kind of uh, more um, kind of like colorful uh, and were kind of produced by a mixture of maybe painting techniques and, and uh, large format commercial or industrial printing techniques. So mm -hmm. the, same, the same sort of printing technology that you'd find here in New York uh, on subway advertisements or on banners. I was kind of actually, when my works were being kind of uh, printed, it would be in slotted in between, you know, like Google and uh, projects for, for like uh, the Wall Street trading floor. So it's kind of like these, like these graphics that kind of go out and get like cover spaces uh, in our environment. So I was thinking about how these technologies could also, the way in which these works were made could be kind of linked back to some of these uh, historical precedents that you, that uh, the kind of the computing language or the uh, interface between humans and machines, uh, kind of they're these crucial points. So I think I, in the press release for the show, I also mentioned this other individual named Ivan Sutherland who had, who uh, was very influential in early computer graphics and made the, and designed the first uh, human machine graphic interface, which was a kind of big deal. Uh, in that it allowed for computer programming and uh, to no longer be that kind of like a punch card uh, kind of uh, approach that you would have to be very well versed in uh, kind of programming language and stuff like that. So um, anyway, so that kind of plays in, I suppose, to this uh, show. And then there's a number of other things that are probably hard to kind of totally convey uh, over the air, but gold pieces, this... The, the kind of drapery, I think. Yeah, it seems to be a play between what you're revealing and where you're putting the viewer as far as their experience with the image. Some things are blocked, some things 
with the curtain, you force the viewer closer to the work in a way. They're kind of stacked together. They're tight in here. That's not like a big open kind of read of the image. And there's also reflective surfaces that are giving you back to you in, in different ways, depending on the folds and, yeah, the, yeah. and the, you know, the clarity of that surface. So it, it seems like there's an interruption of a of a straightforward view of things. Even yeah, the yeah. clocks are, are cropped in a way that you yeah. can't really see the whole view. Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is almost like, yeah, I, I just believe that there is no such thing as the straightforward view on certain things. When it comes to art, like I don't, I feel like this could link back to the idea of communication is that, yes, the, the, the show that I, my last kind of solo endeavor, the title of that show was actually pulled from uh, a paper that uh, uh, Claude Shannon wrote called Communication in the Presence of Noise. And so I think this is something that I've been interested in, is that inherent into kind of, is kind of in any communication system is noise. And so I, I kind of can use that, uh, uh, in, you know, like I can kind of, kind of foreground that on some level. I can insert my own kind of feedback into the into the mix. Because I think that that's where, and this has played out in previous works of mine, is that it's like when I try to present something, like here's my crisp, clean, like uh, logic, here's my absolute truth that I want to convey or something, you know, there's something, the material gets in the way, there's some other, the social kind of frame gets it gets in the way and introduces uh, other information. So I thought that, yeah, I think I'd like having works placed in relationship to other things that can supplement, but also kind of like get in the way and and because uh, I feel like that's kind of the interesting territory is like if you would call it a dialogue or or something like that uh, that, that the work. You know, I, I usually like to kind of ha work kind of almost in a triadic form or something like that, where there's kind of like three things at least that are kind of uh, conflicting with one another, but maybe also allow me to kind of insert almost a common denominator or point, uh, points of overlap uh, between uh, the. Uh, uh, in 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 the middle somewhere of that triad or, or, or but um, it's yeah. a more layered communication, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is kind of the thing is that yeah, and it totally undermines that idea of like uh, the, the Warholian uh, kind of simplicity of the surface, which I think of course is like not really uh, simple. It's kind of like that idea of the surface of a kind of a, 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 you know, maybe a, a deep lake at rest or something like that, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like if you want to know what the lake is like, just look at the surface of this, you know, you know the, the Great Salt Lake or something. Yeah. Like it's a very, it's not, of course, that way. So I think that, yeah, there's, I, I feel like there's always noise, there's always contradictions, there's or at least, you know, and they're not all the same, I, but just in general, you could almost start to think that they're constants, uh, they're kind of almost universal constants uh, of, that will vary upon, you know, sites and, uh, and different uh, situations, uh, but that, you know, there's usually something that, that kind of... Uh, you have to block out if you believe that you're really just getting like a pure stream of 
information or something. So I think that this show is really not a, a, about thinking that you can get pure streams of information, that, uh, that even if I'm kind of citing like big events like the development of the uh, atomic bomb or the, uh, I mean, it, and it doesn't come out. It's not like you're looking at these works and that even, there is that kind of surface of the lake kind of aspect to them, I, I feel, to the installation as a whole, that you can potentially come in and think, like, I don't know what is going on here. But <clears throat> I think you maybe also have this potential to dig in deeper. And that's what I like, is that you with, and that's why I'll often return to kind of formats that could be uh, regarded as painting or something mm -hmm. like that, is that you, it's, it's actually, can be a useful uh, medium, so to speak, even if it's uh, expanded and not even using any kind of the material components that one would have found in kind of a more traditional uh, conception of painting, but that it, it's, it's able to kind of talk about other things than just itself. It's able to kind of embody itself, but it's also able to kind of have a symbolic existence. Mm -hmm. And this is maybe what happens in almost anything depending on how it gets uh, kind of uh, framed and contextualized and, and, and so forth but um, yeah uh, I feel like yeah I, uh, I don't know what to say it's, <laughs> it's, it's deep and, um, and, and I think obviously you're deep I mean from an early age you needing to escape Salt Lake to go talk to other people about artwork it's pretty but the nice thing is when I saw the images yeah. I felt that there was something under the surface. I felt that there's a complexity to this that I didn't know about, and that's kind of why I reached out. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. been nice to, uh, to get the backstory. I get a little more, yeah. or not just the backstory to this show, but just understand a little more about your process and your history and all that stuff. Yeah. So this show comes down in a few days, right? Yeah, it's a Sunday. Yeah, so. it's like that. We, we kind of cut it, we cut it a little short just for, I don't know, you know, whatever reasons. I thought, like, I'll trim it to just, like, to fit within a like an actual calendar month or something like that because I, 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 I'm, I'm of two minds and this is not like even to the, to the point. But yeah, it the show closes uh, uh, on Sunday, so the, the end of a April. But uh, yeah. people might not be able to see it. No, nobody's ever going to see it again. No, it's, no, like, it's only going to exist as images and, yeah. uh, and <laughs> as uh, yeah, digital artifacts and memories or something like that. But that's fine too. I kind of like that, uh, that how shows exist kind of after the fact, too. There's the... There's the, a beauty in that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, like... Look, uh, uh, the doomsday clock, like, you know, everyone's doomsday clock hits at some point. No one knows yeah. when it's midnight, but we all hit midnight at some point, and yeah. there's a kind of a beauty to that. You yeah, know I mean? yeah. I, and I think that kind of plays to my thinking with the show, too, is that there's... And this is where even kind of some of the decor choices came in, I think, was around this idea that you kind of have to embrace something that was hard for me to put my finger totally on, mm -hmm. but I think that is maybe kind of, uh, you, you just did that, is that it's, it's like there is a kind of terminus and like do, how do we deal with that like on some level? Like, and so like if we can think of one extreme kind of form of a kind of terminal event or something like that, how do we, you can of course, you know, like attempt to defer it uh, but there's also this thing where like how do I how does it 
you know, how do I, how do I process, how do I work with it, how do I not work with it, how is it just like this, you know, like elephant uh, uh, in the room or something like that. So anyway, yeah, this indeed could be the idea that we all, we all kind of are aware of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <definitely. laughs> well, all, I mean, like, whatever, some, I don't, I don't so, like it. For people who are interested in your work, where's the best way for them to find it? You do share a name that makes it difficult yes, to, yes. to, I yes, mean, so you, have, yeah. you have to add a little bit to it to Google yeah, yeah. unless you're into some duty rock or something. So, yeah. so, so the, the uh, first answer, just because I can't resist, would be yes. You go to Google, you, say, you put in Sean Paul, Dance Hall, uh, <laughs> you, you, you go that route. Um, you know, um, or if you all, you know, if you're of a mind, you can also uh, there's the David Lewis Gallery here in New York. Yes. They uh, represent me here in New York. I'm also represented uh, in Europe by the Campoli Presti uh, Gallery, and then I have my own website. The, my whole trick was just like adding artist after my name. So that, I mean that's so SeanPaulArtist.com. You can find all one word. You can find you know, my modest website there, uh, but also contact, uh, I think there's a contact link there, so if anybody had questions or wanted to get in touch, I think they can find me in either of those, or, you know, in one of those three kind of uh, directions uh, through the galleries or through my own website that I maintain. Um, so. Sounds good. Well, listen, it's been mighty kind of you to take all this time, and it's been really cool to meet you and, and hear a lot about your your life and your work. Love so you. best to everything and thanks a lot. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sound and Vision is recorded and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. The introduction and introduction music is by Michael Lovett, who records as the musical act Nazca Lines. All other music was written and performed by myself. You can find images and information about the podcast at soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find more about me and my artwork at paintchanger.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>